0: Take a minute to visit rachelcarman.com and join the community of real refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen.
1: Good day to all of you. I am looking out of the window of our little studio here at home and There are no leaves on my trees. This is the winter and it's a little windy here in Charlotte, North Carolina. So greetings to you wherever you are. If you are facing feet of snow outside of your window or maybe you're in a balmier location than I I am maybe down in Florida or something. I'm so glad you've taken time to be with me today. Today we're going to do something really daring. Today we're going to talk about love biblically defined. We're going to try to take back some ground as the people of God, we've got to know what this word means. I'll be right back.
2: Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold.
0: Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth.
1: All right, I hope that that intrigued you just a little bit, that we are actually going to do what a lot of people are trying to avoid doing, and that is get into this messy discussion on what is love? What does it mean? How does it look? Who can we love? What do we overlook? Who decides? All of that. Again, as the people of God, we need to know what love is. We need to know who is love, and we need to be able to articulate that, and we need, more importantly, to actually live that. So as Christians, we often get accused of being unloving, And it is not unloving, however, I want to argue today to live by God's standard of love. That is not unloving. In fact, it is the most loving thing we can do. So as we look at this today, I want to review some things that perhaps you know. Maybe some of these things will be new. We are going to be really dense in scripture references today. They'll be available over at the website at rachelcarman.com if or in the show notes if you want to pick those up for further study and I hope that you will want to pick those up for further study because this is super important. It's important for how we interact with other people, how we love other people, how we raise our children, how we love our husbands, how we love our neighbors. All of that matters in this discussion today. So you'll remember if you are a regular listener, and I hope you are, that our m M&M for the month of February 2023 is Psalm 119. And in that Psalm, in the longest chapter in the whole Bible, 176 verses, the psalmist declares his love for God's word and actually invites those of us who dare to meditate on those scriptures and those verses to come and fall in love with God's word ourselves. And so I've adopted love as our key word for the month of February. And today, as we seek to define love biblically, there'll be three other teaches on this same theme of love as we round out the month of February here. But I felt like this was just going to serve as a foundation for the rest of our discussion as we go forward just some fundamentals. We see God in scripture as triune. Yes, we have a father, son, and Holy Spirit three in one. It's one of the mysteries of the Bible, but we believe it by faith. And we see a father who loves so much that he sent, but we also see a father who loves enough to discipline. And we'll talk about that. We see a son who in humility came right? But he also sacrificed his life so that you and I could live paying our sin debt that we could not pay. And then the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he leads us, he comforts us, he guides us. And so we see again, the three in one, father, son, and Holy Spirit, God is love but not as the world would have us believe. This is, I believe, the original tough love is the love that God shows to us. It is a bold love, a courageous love, a strong love. And that's what we want to talk about here today. We don't want to get distracted by what the world says. We want to focus tenaciously on what the Bible says about what love is. So as we're getting started, I want to start in the chapter that most people think of as the go-to passage in Scripture written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, and that's 1 Corinthians 13. You're probably familiar with this. The whole passage is not very long at all. In fact, we memorized it when all the kids were home once upon a time as a family, it's a great challenge for you to do. You can type it up and print it out and put it maybe by your kitchen table. Since our family, we did a Awana for years and years and years. It's a Bible memorization program at, at some churches that we had our children involved in we were involved in as a family for many many moons and so scripture memory was something that we did centrally around the breakfast table every morning so we adopted first corinthians 13 it's a whopping 13 verses itself so it's not really very long but it was so pivotal in our discipleship of our children that we all had these verses written on our hearts and i'm going to just say moms dads that is such a key I love or used to love when my kids were younger sermonettes, right? I could just, you know, let them know it, you know, lead my own little come to Jesus meeting. But what I found was the most powerful thing I could do was not my little sermonette. The most powerful word I could give my kids was God's word. And so as we endeavored and determined to put God's word in their hearts, that is what the Spirit of God worked through. He worked conviction, he worked confession and repentance, and he grew them as his children because his word was in their hearts. So again, we memorized 1 Corinthians 13. I originally memorized it in the NIV. Today, I believe I've referenced the NIV again in the passage we'll look at together and over on the PDF file. So 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to skip the first three verses. Not that they are not important, but that that our time is briefed today. So I'm just going to jump in with the actual description of love that Paul gives here. And I'm just going to say that I wish that he did not list the first descriptor as it is. So he starts off saying, love is patient. Love is patient. The first descriptor that the Apostle Paul gives to love is patience. And you and I know that that means long-suffering and forbearing, perhaps two words that we don't use very often, but it means that we aren't frustrated perpetually. I remember a time when I was a young mother, and I feel like saying I was frustrated was what I mainly said every day. I was frustrated by this. I was frustrated by that. I was frustrated by this. I was not practicing love. Love is not frustrated all the time. Love is patient. Moms, this is so important for you and I to lean into and embrace. These little people that have been sent by the mighty hand of God into our homes are not going to instantaneously do and act and complete everything just the way we want them to the first time we ask them to. And it's not out of reckless disobedience. When they first are told to do something, they don't know how, right? And so love is patient enough to teach them over and over and over, to show them again, to train them, right? Love is patient to continue to say, I love you. I'm going to help you. I'm here for you. You're not alone. Let's do it together. That's what patient love does. Next, love is kind. That means that love is considerate, it's gracious, it's understanding. It's that part of love that, "Hey, I get it. I get it. You're in a rough place, you're in a rough moment, woke up on the wrong side of bed, that happens to all of us. Love is kind." In other words, love is not thoughtless. It it's intentional. It's on purpose. It's considerate of the other, not just of yourself. Next, love does not envy. Love does not resent or begrudge. It's really easy, moms, especially in this culture that's almost anti-mom, right? We don't value moms or dads, but certainly not moms anymore. And many moms just adopt the attitude towards their children that the culture hands them, and that is a resentment. They're an inconvenience. They're a bother. Right, But that's not what it says here about love. If we say we love our children, if we say we love God, then we're not resentful. We're not begrudging. We're contented. Now, let that word sit on you just a moment. The issue of contentment is throughout Scripture. And the only thing that can give us true contentment, which is the opposite of envy, the only thing that will satisfy us completely is God. If we are going to allow envy to invade our hearts, souls, and minds, we are going to continuously chase after the things of this world, and we are going to perpetually be discontent, and in a state of discontent, we cannot be loving. That's why the Apostle Paul here admonishes us, love does not envy. Next, love does not boast. It does not brag. It is not bully. It does not flaunt. It doesn't compare. It doesn't show off. Love is modest. It deprecates, right? This doesn't mean that you are allow other people to walk on you. It, it, it's more like it doesn't matter, right? Love is not all about itself. Love is about the other. So love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. We'll finish the list right after this.
2: Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by bestselling author Katie Clemens. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold.
1: Okay, picking up now, love is not proud. It's not cocky. It's not conceited. It's not haughty. It's not, hey, look at me. No, love is humble. Love is meek. That's what love is. Love doesn't walk in a room expecting everyone to pay attention to itself. No, love is humble. Love is paying attention to other people. Love is not rude, coarse, or impolite. It's nice, it's polite, it's gentle. There's never a, an excuse or a reason to be rude. Never. We can always be polite and kind, even when people are rude to us, there's just not ever a reason. And I would suggest to you today in our cultural climate, just our determination not to be rude in turn when other people are rude to us makes a bold statement because that is counter culture. All of these are, but this issue of rudeness, rudeness has become so acceptable in our culture. It is how people behave today that's how far we have fallen but the people of God ought not ever be rude ever next love is not self-seeking it's not egocentric it's not pompous it's not selfish it's reserved and respectful of others I'm love biblical love doesn't jump up and down for attention It doesn't think it's the center of the universe. Like you walk in and you're in the spotlight, right? Love is seeking others, seeing others. We've talked about this before, and that is what is compassion? Compassion is two parts. It is seeing, and then it is acting. So in that regard, this love is not self-seeking. It would mean that we see others, and then we act upon that seeing. I was recently at a party and, you know, you walk into the room and you sort of evaluate the room, who's here, what's going on, what's the topic, where do I fit into this space, into this conversation? And there was this one person that I'd never seen before or met that was just hugging the wall. And I thought, that person needs someone to go say hello. That's what love does. And I don't always do that perfectly. That was actually just a really good example of a time that I got it right. But love sees other people. It's not self-seeking. Love next is not easily angered. It's not rash. It's not compulsive. It's not careless. It's reasonable and calm. Again, right there with rude. I hope you can see the contrast to the culture right now. It always benefits a conversation or controversy for us to be reasonable and calm. Always. It benefits. It's just sort of. Brings everything down a few notches. Next, love does not keep a record of wrongs, grudges, resentments. Love extends goodwill. That's what we're called to do, to extend goodwill. Love does not delight in evil. It doesn't love the things of this world. In James 4.4, 4, it says, loving the world is hatred towards God. And right here it says that if we love, we don't delight in evil at all, have no part of it, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now that is probably to you an incredibly familiar passage about what love is. And we have another passage in the Old Testament that you may have heard at weddings in Ruth 1. This is, I, I've heard many people use this passage in their wedding vows to one another. In fact, you know the wedding vows, probably, I'm hoping you know the wedding vows, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. That is. Those are the traditional wedding vows, and those show they reflect a commitment that no matter what, no matter what, love is committed to one another. Here we have in Ruth 1 1, and it's a short book. If you have not read the book of Ruth, All together, I would really encourage you to do so. There's a crossroads in Ruth's life. I won't spoil it for you, but we're only going to pick up in chapter 1, verses 16. So there's a whole lot that's already happened in the 15 preceding verses. But right here, Ruth has a choice to make. Ruth has a choice to make. Is she going to go back? Or is she going to stand by her mother-in-law? It's a familiar passage probably. She says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. That is a picture of... Of committed love, and if you continue to read the rest of the book of Ruth, you see that God honors her choice, her decision, her commitment to her mother in law that she does out of love for her mother in law. It's beautiful. Another illustration that we have of love is over in Philippians chapter one. You're probably familiar with this also. Again, it's just nice to hear these things over and over and over. Philippians. Two, pardon me, picking up in verse five, we have this. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And he made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the poor of death, even death on a cross. That's love. That's love. What we see in this example of Christ is we see selflessness. We see servanthood. We see suffering. And we see sacrifice. And I want to say that that is the complete opposite of what the world wants to define love as. The world wants a squishy kind of love. A selfless kind of love, a selfish kind of love, pardon me. But I would offer you this. Biblical love is not squishy. It's solid. It's not selfish. It's selfless. It's not shallow. It's satisfying. It's not seductive. It's sincere. It's not silly. It's sober. It's not shifting. It's stable. It's not spectacular. It's simple. And it's not shameful. It's sinless. This is love. This is love that God sent his only Son. This is love. This is love. Selfless, serving, suffering and sacrificing. And that I propose to you today, that is the process of sanctification, that we would love as he loved, as we see the love that Jesus gave and exemplified for us in his life here. That is the kind of love that we're called to live, that same kind of love. And you're right if you're thinking that's not easy. Because what God calls us to in love and what the enemy wants us to change to in his definition of love, his is much more easy. The love of the world, the love that the the enemy entices us to embrace is so selfish and it is so short-sighted and it is so empty and it ends in death. But the love... That God calls us to the love that He exemplifies that love leads to life. Jesus came selflessly in the form of a man, he served as a man. you remember he was a hundred percent man, a hundred percent God, but as a man, God in human flesh, he got tired, he got hungry, he got dirt between his toes. He had to put up with the disciples and the crowds and all of that. He served. You remember that when he washed the feet of his disciples, the yuckiest, dirtiest job, he did that. And then, though there was no sin in him, he suffered. He was mocked. He was spat upon. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was nailed to a cross the perfect Lamb of God, to pay our sin debt. He told them he did, no one took his life from him. He laid it down. He sacrificed. He willingly, knowingly laid it down. In Gethsemane, we hear him surrender himself, surrender his will, not my will, surrender, but thine submitted. And that's what we're called to. That kind of surrendered, submitted love to the authority of the Father. See, God rightly ordered love. Who? God says, me first. And the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments, it's very clear who God wants us, what our priorities should be. It's totally, it completely is lined out. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Make no graven images before me, no idols, he says. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. One through four, God is saying, me first. You honor me first. You worship me only. And sometimes people hear that and they go, my goodness. Look, he's God. He is God. He deserves that. High and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. He is the only one worthy of that position. And he knows that it is for our benefit to keep him in that position. If you look at the 10 commandments, then five through 10, the love of neighbor, God says, if you want to love rightly ordered, you love me first. You love others next. That's rightly ordered love. Then God says, what is the definition of love? God makes it clear. If you love me, If you say you love me, God says, then keep my commandments. This is the whole issue of trust and obey. That's the boil down of the message of how do we follow God? How do we honor God? How do we worship God? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Obeying implies trust. You get who he is and what he requires. You do obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. He made us. He knows what's best for us. He only wants what's best for us. And in our sinful condition, He understands that what's best for us, though simple, is not easy and not painless. So it may sound easy, trust and obey, but if you've been breathing for more than five minutes, you know it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And so when we get who God is, when we understand what he's called us to do to trust and obey him, sometimes we buck that system. We don't, we don't want to obey. Sometimes we question, is this really what's best for me? Does God really know what he's talking about? Cause I really want to do this other thing. I really want to rebel. I really want to disobey. I really want to do what I want to do. You know, it's really interesting to me because. I did a little bit of research on this just for fun. So I'm going to chase this just for a second. You probably have some similar appliances in your house that I have. And on these different appliances that are pretty common across the board, there are some directions for use, right? And the directions for use on these appliances were written by the people who made the appliances. Are you seeing it? Are you paying attention? So for example, on the iron I have an iron. I'm betting you have an iron. How often you use it is not the point in this conversation. But if you have an iron, if you read the small print of the directions that come with your iron, this is what it says. Do not operate on clothing you are wearing. Right. So essentially, the directions are saying you should not iron a shirt when you have it on your person. That's dangerous. And so the manufacturer... Although that should be a duh factor, says, Yeah, don't do that. Right. And I'm pretty confident that all of you listening would agree. You shouldn't iron a shirt when you have it on. You shouldn't iron on your body. Okay. That's just one example. Number two, microwaves, and you probably know this pretty universally, do not put any metal objects in your microwave. It just, it's not a good plan. Can cause a fire. Just don't do it. Right. And I'm betting. I'm betting that there aren't any of you in the audience that have tried that just to see if it really starts to fire. Now, your kids may have. But as an adult who paid, let's say, $100 at least for your microwave, you're not going to take the risk of putting a fork in there and seeing what happens. Why? Because you invested in the microwave and you trust, right? You trust the manufacturer that he knew what he was talking about when he told you not to do something right? So you're obeying that warning. Number three, I have a hairdryer. But on this hairdryer, I have a massive sticker that I cannot get off on the cord. This may be true for you too. And on the sticker on the cord, it says that I should never use this hairdryer while I am bathing in the bathtub. Now, it's immediately true to you why that is a warning, why they don't want me to do that, because I could die doing that, and they don't want me to die using their appliance. They want what's best for me. They want me to live and have beautifully styled hair. Look, why is it that it is so easy for us to read and follow manufacturer's warnings? And not so easy to read and follow the word of God. His loving limitations for us. His invitation to say, this is how you live best. This is what it looks like to flourish. I made you. Okay, you may not understand all of the ifs or or whys of all of this. I'm just asking you to trust me because I really do know what's best. I really do know what's best. On a little further investigation of basic safety rules, I came up, there's several lists. You can Google it yourself, do your own research, but it was really fascinating. Just if I boil down all these different lists of basic safety rules, get this. It's fascinating. Number one, stay alert. That's all through scripture. Pay attention, stand guard, all through Scripture, stand firm. All through Scripture. Guess what? It's also a basic safety rule. Just out in the world, stay alert. Number one. Number two, wear the right clothes. Huh? That's in there too. Colossians two uh, three, starting in verse twelve, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. It matters. What we put on, it matters. Stay alert, wear the right clothes. Number three, use the right tools. Use the right tools. We're in a battle. Invisible, spiritual, you bet. It is a battle and it is heated up. And some of us are not even engaging in it. Right here it says if we want to be safe in this battle, we've got to make sure we're we're using the right tools. And what are the right tools? The sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6. we got to engage. And we got to use the right tools. The only way we defeat the enemy is if we are suited up in our spiritual armor and we are wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to acknowledge these safety rules, these three, and all of these warnings over here, these are things that the world fundamentally embraces, that we need to follow the warning tags on our hair dryers. We don't need to iron clothes that we're wearing. We don't need to put silverware in our microwaves, and then we buck the Ten Commandments in the Word of God. It ought not be. God made us. He knows us. He loves us, and he wants what's best for us. That's why he established his loving limits. It honors him when we obey, and it benefits us when we obey. And he tells us how. How do we trust and obey? We love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength our heart represents our emotions and as we love him with our whole heart we get his peace our soul represents our spiritual our desires and as we give over and love him with all of our desires he is our satisfaction when we determine to love god with all of our mind and we've talked about focusing our mind on things above listening to the truth of God's word. That's the whole point of the Meditate and Memorize series is that we would set our mind up and not be distracted by the things of the world. When we do that, he is our hope. In a world of hopelessness, A hope that a world that just is despairing and depressed. We have the hope of an eternal home when all things are made new and all things are set right. And when we love the Lord with all of our strength, we recognize that he alone is able. He alone is able. And then we love our others as we love ourselves. Because we understand that other people matter to God. And so the love that we have with him, we share with them, right? And we point them to him and we share with them the peace and the satisfaction and the hope that we find in him. I just want to close with just a few familiar scriptures. These will be listed in the show notes and or over at rachelcarman.com for further study. I would really encourage you to do that. I'm going to fly through these, but I just want to say the study of the of the meaning of love from a scriptural pers, per, a perspective, it's endless and the changeless, foundational Timeless word of God. Study it. Get to know it. Do not allow the world to define what love is. Go back and study what God said. Study what God said. Let's start in Matthew. I've got the five gospels, several passages in the New Testament. Again, not an exhaustive list, but let's just let's run through this. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. That's not as the world would have you do it. That is how God instructs us to do it, that we would love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Mark twelve twenty eight through 32. Love the Lord with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. We just ran through that, but there's your scripture reference. Number three, Luke sixteen thirteen. No one can love two masters. You will hate one and love the other and love one and hate the other you you got to choose no one can love both god and money that's the whole passage love is a thing it's an important an important thing what are you giving your heart to because you're going to fear and you're going to worship what you love we've got to be careful about what that is that's why this is so important then we've got several verses in john John three sixteen, very familiar, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Then in John thirteen, thirty four through thirty five, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, and in so doing the world will know. Look, when we rightly love, when we or when we love in the right order, in the right way, by God's standard, it changes the world. It says in John 13, 35, they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. We've got to make sure we get this right. This is our hallmark. This is our calling card, is that we are people that love according to God's definition that we love him first, we love others next, that we are patient and kind, not envious, not boasting, not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, not keeping a record of wrongs, but that we're loving, that we're loving. John fifteen nine through 17, greater love has no man. Than that he lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus admonishes the disciples in the upper room discourse in this passage. Love like I've loved you. In other words, he says, I'm going to Calvary just now. You don't know that. I keep telling you, but you don't get it. That's okay. But I'm going to go do this thing and I'm going to lay down my life. And I want you to pay attention because I want you to do the same thing. And just like the disciples, that's the same charge he gave to us. Lay down your life. Love one another by laying down your life. That's what we're called to do. Then continuing on over into 1 John 4, we love him because he first loved us. If you, if you say you love God, then you'll love your brother. If you say you love God but you hate your brother, then you're a liar. Because you can't love God and hate your brother. Just It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. First John four, seven through nine, love one another for God is love. He sent his son. Now see, here's a passage right here. God is love. Those three words are taken completely out of context because the very next thing we see that demonstrates God's love is that he sent his son. He sacrificed his son to suffer and to die on the cross of Calvary. That is the love that God demonstrated. That is the love that we're called to imitate nothing less than that kind of love. Then we jump over to Romans 5, 8. You know this. God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning, he died for us on the cruel cross of Calvary. Romans twelve nine through 10, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. And the important part here right now is there is evil. There are things. Worth hating. But it's not our brothers and sisters. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Romans 12, 9 and 10. And then in Galatians 5, we have the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love. It's the first one listed. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit singular. Of the spirit it's not the fruits of the spirit it's the fruit of the spirit that is what characterizes the fruit of the spirit if you have the spirit you ought to be bearing that fruit and the first characteristic of that fruit is love and finally again not an exhaustive list but the last one I'm going to go over today is Hebrews 126 God disciplines those he loves he disciplines those that we love We'll talk about this more when we get to Psalm 23 in our M&M series. But your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod of discipline. God loves us enough to discipline us. He loves us enough to say no to us. He loves us enough to extend to us his loving limits and to insist, to insist that we live within those. That's what it looks like to live within worthy. That's what it looks like to trust and obey. That is the love of God. I always enjoy my time with you. Make sure you jump over to rachelcarman.com and pick up that PDF. Make sure that you are daring to love boldly as God would have you love, not in the definition of the world, but by his word. I'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged and we need accountability in the word. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast.